Hey, we're in Romans chapter 8 today. As I've said over the last few weeks, um, actually last week I, I talked about it, and then I also introduced the book of Romans, as we got into it, we were looking at, in the Bible, if you take all 66 books of the Bible, and you want to single out one book, and say, if there was only one book that you could have access to, which book would that be that would basically tell the story? And, and Romans is that book. What's interesting is that there are 16 chapters in the book of Romans. And as we talked about last week, Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 are vital for us to understand as Christians. There's a lot of people that live their life for years as Christians and don't understand Romans 7 or Romans chapter 8. They just don't understand it. They, they don't get it. And because they don't get it, they live a life of defeat. They live a life of discontentment. They live a life... Uh, they get burnt out. They get burnt out on their Christian walk. It's like they, they, they think, well, this Christian walk is really, really... It's really hard. And so... If that's the case, then I, I, I just, you know, I'll continue to do it because I do believe in God and I want to go to heaven at the end of the day. And, you know, when it all comes down to it, maybe not at the end of the day, but at the end of my life, you know. Um, but actually expecting what the Bible says, expecting the life that the Bible explains is available to me, I'm never going to understand that. I'm never going to get it. Just never going to get it. Other people get it, but I don't get it, and I will never get it. And and sadly to say, there are some that have have uh, lived that life for a long, long, long time. Paul actually, I think, lived that life for a season. I think that he lived that life in in such a way that even after he became a Christian, we talked about it last week in Romans chapter seven. You remember it was that really confusing many sentences that he strung together that if you're not careful, you have a hard time even understanding what he's saying. And yet, even in the midst of it, you sit there and go, man, I totally identify with that. I, I am there with Paul. What did he say? He says, listen, I know that what I'm doing, I don't understand for what I will to do that I don't practice. But what I hate, that's the very thing I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good, but it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. For the, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I, I don't understand, I don't find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And, and so we, we get this, this struggle of what Paul was sharing last week as he wrote Romans chapter 7. But there came a point where he, he got to the crescendo of that struggle. He got to the crescendo of that frustration that maybe you're at. Maybe you're at as a Christian. And, and that age is, and when I say age, I don't mean your physical age, but your spiritual age. 
You, you see, it's the time after you became a born-again Christian. You go, wait a minute, born-again Christian? Yeah, Jesus says, you know, you must be born again. We've talked about that. We talked about that two weeks ago, about having to die. Die to you and be born again for Christ. And, and, and the, the, the point that Paul is getting to here, he's saying, you know, I, and, and before I go on, your spiritual age is, is basically when you became a Christian to the time where you are here right now. Now, uh, how many of you became a Christian when you were a child? A few of you. How many of you guys became a Christian when you were in your 20s? How about in your 30s? 40s? Okay, 50s? 80s? Now, here's the thing. Those have been a Christians a long time. Maybe you've been a Christian. How many of you have been a Christian for six months or less? A year? Two years? Five years? Ten years? Fifteen years? Twenty years? 40 years, I don't know. Man, I'm only seeing a few hands. Are we saved in this room? Well, come on, man. you got to work with me here. Now, listen, listen. I've got like four hands. I'm thinking, that's scary to a pastor going, oh, my goodness, you've been here all this time. I thought I knew you. Now, listen. Here's the thing. There's a lot of people that your spiritual age, you can get to this place in your life where maybe you identify with this. Remember, remember when you understood, maybe for the first time, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You understood that. You accepted Christ into your heart. And, and when you accepted Christ into your heart, you also heard that, man, when you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you go, wow. I'm brand new. If anyone is in Christ, the Bible says he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And you sit there and you go, wait a minute. All the old things that I I ever was, all the things that I've ever done, all the evil, all the wicked, all the sin, all the junk that I have in my past, you're telling me I can have a brand new start. And do you remember that time? And maybe this is the first time you've ever heard that. And if so, man, today you need and be introduced to Jesus. You need to understand that your sins can be forgiven. All of the junk that's in your past can be forgiven and you can be made right with God right now. And here's how you do it. I mean, here's a great thing. I remember hearing a pastor do this one time. He got up at a conference and, and it was a men's conference and he says, you know what, let's just get this out of the way. If you need to get saved, right now is the time. And he, and he, just, he presented the gospel, Jesus Christ. He died on a cross for you. You're a sinner. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That doesn't mean that, that some have fallen or some are guilty and some are not. It means all. Because I've looked up that Greek word and it's the Greek word for all. It's really interesting. It's all. It, it is what it means. It means all. That means everybody. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that means you too. 
That means Billy Graham. I, I mean, if you think that he's holy or something like that, you, there's a lot of people. He's kind of like the, the, the person that we point to if you want to go, well, who else would I know that is the most righteous? You know? Can I just tell you, Billy Graham is not the most righteous. He's a sinner just like you are, just like me, just like us, just like all of us. He needs Jesus just as much as anyone else. Peter Cartwright, a missionary, he was speaking one time, and he was speaking before a large crowd, and somebody came to him and said, "Uh, Peter Cartwright, be careful. President Andrew Jackson is in the audience today, so be careful with what you say. And he took it to heart, he listened to it, and he got up in front of everyone, and he, he got up in front of the, the, the stage, in front of, on the podium, behind the pulpit, and he said, it has been brought to my attention. This is how he opened up his message. It has been brought to my attention that we have President Andrew Jackson in our congregation today. And I am here to tell Andrew Jackson that if he doesn't repent of his sins, he will go to hell just as easy as anybody else. Here's the thing. There's not one person more righteous than another. I was saying, sharing this thing just the other day with uh, uh, my, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. They knew who he was, and a lot of you wouldn't know it, but Audie Murphy. How many of you guys know who Audie Murphy is? Audie Murphy. Wait, raise your hand. That's all of us old people. Okay? How many kids know who Audie Murphy is, besides my son, because I had to tell him? Audie Murphy is, at least at one time, I think he still is, was the most decorated American soldier of all time. World War II, what? World War II? Yeah. Um, and, and so he then came back and he became a Hollywood actor. And they actually did movies about his life where he acted in it. Well, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? It's a movie about me. I'll play me, you know? This is what I look like. You know, I, how do you do that? I don't know, you know. Well, I was really cool. I came over the hill and I shot seven of them, you know. And, and, I, and, and here's how I did it, you know. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. How do you do that? I mean, uh, it, but he did it. And he was a very, very beloved person. But he was decorated more than any soldier in the United States history. And so here's the thing. He died. And one of my heroes in the faith uh, teacher that I've been mentored by in by distance not by personal one-on-one but just by listening to him and reading uh, messages and 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 lessons that he's taught and what have you and books that he's written and what have you Uh, a fellow by the name of J. Vernon McGee any of you guys have ever heard of J. Vernon McGee a few of you guys have yeah and and here's J. Vernon McGee you probably still hear him on the radio friends this is where the rubber meets the road, you know. And he's, he died back in 88, and he's still on the radio. And he was sharing the other day, I was listening to uh, one of his messages the other day, and he was talking about how, uh, a lot of people didn't know, but he actually did the memorial service for Audie Murphy. And Audie Murphy, being the most decorated soldier in American history, he had uh, George H.W. Bush there, you know, in the attendance. He had a lot of very big dignitaries in the audience. He had, he had a lot of Hollywood actors. He says, friends, I was going into the hornet's nest, you know, in Hollywood. 
you know, and, and, and here I knew I was on unfamiliar territory, you know, and, and he, but he went in and his wife, Audie Murphy's wife, she's the one that asked Javon McGee to do his memorial service. And she said, um, Dr. McGee, I want you to preach the gospel. You know, my husband didn't know the Lord, but there are people here that they don't know the Lord either and they need to know. And I guess Audie Murphy's son, uh, he became a Christian. His wife uh, was a Christian. She was a, 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 a part of the congregation of J. Vernon McGee's church out in Pasadena. And so he gave this memorial service, and, and he talked about you know, J., uh, uh, how Audie Murphy, the most decorated soldier, and every one of those medals he deserved and he earned, and they were rightly pinned to his uniform. But of all of those ribbons and of all of those medals and of all of those, you know, uh, banners that he had, you know, upon him and bars that he had upon him, here's the thing. Those will do nothing when he stands before God. They're not going to earn him God's favor. You can be the greatest person upon the face of this earth and still go to hell at the end of the day. And so here's the thing. Do you have a relationship with Christ? If you don't, you can simply open up your heart to Jesus even right now as you sit in your seat and you can just simply, in your heart, just go, Lord, this is kind of weird. This is not really how church services usually start, but okay. But right now, I'm not right with you and I want to be a Christian. I, I am a sinner. I know that if I were to die today, I wouldn't be with you. As Pastor Don just said, Your word says that if anyone is in you, they are a brand new creation. All the old things that I've ever done in life are passed away and all things now have become new. I want that in my life. I want to be brand new. I want a a do-over. That's a cool thing about God. He gives do-overs. I want that in my life. Come into my heart as my Lord and my Savior. I believe you died on a cross for me, Jesus. I believe that you came, God, you came as a man in Jesus. And you lived for me and you died for me and you rose again three days later for me. I want to go to heaven one day. Forgive me of my sin. I acknowledge it. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. I want to be a Christian from this day forward. Show me how that show me how that looks. Show me how that works. Lead me and guide me from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, and it's not the magic in the words, it's really, do you mean that? Is that really what you want in your heart? Is that, do you want Christ? Maybe God was tugging on your heart even this day, and right now you just went, you know what, I prayed that. It's kind of weird because I prayed with my eyes open. Nobody even heard me, but here's the thing. I prayed it. Maybe that's you. Well, you know what you are? You're 32nd old Christian. That's how old you are. You're 30 seconds, 45 seconds now. You're just a brand new infant, newborn babe in Christ. But wait a minute. I'm, I'm 44 years old. No, you're about a minute and 15 seconds now. That's how old you are. But you know what? There's others in this room that, that you've been a Christian for a long time. And, and, and here's the thing. 
as Paul did in his life. You became a Christian. You begin to understand what life was about. You've experienced the freedom that you have in Christ. You experienced the forgiveness. You experienced this weight coming off of your shoulders. You experienced this reconciliation that you had with God. And you went, wow, this is awesome. Maybe you didn't have some, you know, dynamic experience, some emotional or spiritual experience. But you knew, as you knew, as you knew that God heard your voice because you were doing business with the Lord. And here's the thing. You became a Christian and you started walking with him. How long was it before you sinned your very first time? Was it even before you got out of the church building? Was it later that day? Was it the next day? It might, you might have held out for, if you say a week, I'm going to say, no, nah, I don't think so. I say you probably blew it even before you walked out of the building. But maybe you didn't. Maybe you were riding that Christianity brand new believer high for a few days, and then you blew it. And then you blew it, and when you blew it, you went, oh, man, I guess I, I guess I, just lost my salvation i blew it i don't have a relationship with christ anymore because i did say the prayer and i really meant it but if i really meant it and i did this then it doesn't these don't match these things don't reconcile with one another if i really am the lord how can i do this and maybe you talked to a friend that went to that church service with you or that led you to Jesus in the first place or you talked to somebody else or you've gotten online and you Googled it or whatever you've done, but you got on and you understood, you asked this question, how can a person be reconciled to God after, how can they be made right with God once again after they gave their heart to the Lord? I don't understand, I blew it. Is there any mercy for me? Is there any forgiveness for me? Is there, is, there, is there life here? I don't understand. I blew it. I'm the one that came and I'm going to be lost. And then that person says, no, no, no. We're all, I've still sinned. Not that I glory in that sin. Not that I try to go out and sin. But here's the thing. I'm still, I still am a sinner. There's still things that I do in my life that just drive me crazy at times. And then they begin to share with you what grace is. It's God's unmerited favor towards your infinitely ill-deserved heart. And, and, and they begin to share with you, listen, as I've already shared, 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins... God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can be, you can be right again with him. Just confess your sin. Just get on with it. And so you do, and, and, and all of a sudden you go, wow, that, that's like really, really cool. That's really cool. I, I'm, I'm back. And all of a sudden you, maybe you have this free feeling again. Wow, I feel good. I feel like that weight's lifted off my shoulder again. And I'm feeling pretty good. And you go for another few days. Maybe you go for another week or two and you're on fire for the Lord. You're excited about what God's done in your life. And then you do something stupid again. Quite possibly the very same thing you did before. 
and right back now, right now, you're right back in that same condition you were before. How could I give my heart to Christ and then come back and do this again? Even after I said I was sorry, was I not sorry the first time? Does anybody identify with this? Anybody? Yeah, that's me. And, and you, you, you get to this point where you're going, man, how could I do that? That was just so stupid. I mean, can I still claim that, that verse? All right, God, I'm going to confess my sin before you. I did it again. I did it again. I'm sorry, God, please forgive me. I don't want to do that. Do you really cleanse me from my sin and forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness still? That's the third time, Lord. How many times will God do that before he finally you go and knock on heaven's door and, and, and all of a sudden you find out he says, hey, no, you've knocked way too many times for that one sin. You're done. You're done. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Now, you might not have put it in that, those types of words, but if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, that probably has crossed your mind. I've blown it in the same area over and over and over again. How many times will I go to the Lord and ask him for forgiveness and he forgive me for the same thing? Now, well, we already know that there's like a precedent set down from Jesus, right? You remember it was Peter that went to Jesus in front of all of his buddies. He kind of wanted to let everybody know that he was a little bit more spiritual than everybody, right? He said, Lord, Jesus, I'm your favorite, you know. I'm very spiritual. He didn't say that, but that's kind of the, the connotation here. He goes, Lord, how many times shall we forgive uh, uh, someone who offends us, sins against us, uh, up to seven times? Now, to him, that was pretty impressive because you know what? Maybe once, maybe twice. The third time, you're going to get your block knocked off. But Peter, man, I'm super spiritual, Lord. Seven times, you think? You guys hear me say seven, right? And I mean it. I mean seven, you 11 other disciples, peons. I'll forgive somebody up to seven times. Lord, what do you say about that? I'm sure he's going to go, Peter. This is what I think is going on in Peter's heart. Peter's probably going... The Lord's going to go, Peter, what, what a transformation has happened in your heart. What a wonderful man that you'd forgive somebody up to seven times. What a wonderful guy you are, Pete. Guys, look at Pete and look at him as an example. But he doesn't do that. He, he, says, he, he, he says, up to seven times, Lord. What do, you, what do you say about that, Lord? Jesus says, no, Pete, I say up to 70 times seven. John, let me borrow your hand. <laughs> James? And, 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 and I'm getting like 490 out of that. Are you saying I forgive somebody up to 490 times? And if they, if they press Jesus on that, that issue, you're saying I have to forgive somebody up to 490 times? I think that Jesus would even then go, okay, no, 490 times 490 that's going to just stump you for a long time. So you just won't get that because there's not that many guys here to have their fingers. You know, here's the thing. Jesus made this 
this illustration such that by the time you reach 490 times and you've forgiven somebody 490 times, are you going to still remember counting 490 times? If you do, you're sick. You've got a problem, right? Don't you got a problem? If you're going to hold and you're going to mark down every time a person sinned against you and you mark it down, you record 489 times and you're sitting there waiting for the 490th one so that you can just say, okay, I'm done with you. But you know what? As foolish as that sounds for us to say that about another person, we sometimes feel that with the Lord. We sometimes feel, I can't go back to the Lord and continue to ask him for forgiveness because he's not going to forgive me. And it's the whole essence of what Paul is coming to here in Romans chapter 7. He's going, man, the things that I will to do, those are the very things I don't do. And the very evil that I will not to do, that's the thing I'm jumping both feet in and practicing. I'm blowing it. I mean, so much so that he reaches this crescendo after he does that whole verbiage, confusing, you know, about 14 sentences in there. He finally hits this crescendo that says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's so frustrated. He's going, I want to die because it's so frustrating. I can't do this. I can't do this Christian walk. I can't do it on my own. I am so frustrated in myself. I am so frustrated in how this is going. I'm so frustrated that I, Paul the Apostle, Saul, who excelled above all of his pharisaical brothers. I can't get over this hump of sinning. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death, he says. And and then he answers it there in verse 24. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ of chapter 7. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ. He understood. He finally came to this understanding. Kind of that center punch of the Bible of why Jesus came in the first place. It's to forgive you of your sin. It's to not hold condemnation upon you. It's to set you free. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I believe the inference that Jesus is saying there is, and never to be caught again. I set you free, you'll never be caught again. You'll never be brought under bondage again, unless it's a bondage you place upon yourself, which a lot of Christians do. There are people that are probably sitting here in this room or are listening to this right now that you've been a Christian for a long time and you have pretty much thrown in the towel and you've given up, but you'd continue to go to church because you know you're supposed to be there. But you know what? You're just frustrated with it all. You're, you just burn out. You're just done. I still am a Christian. You just burn. Can I say Paul's trying to get to your heart just like he's trying to get to my heart, just trying to, like he's trying to get to all of our hearts? He's saying, listen, I was there 
I never completely conquered all of it. And if you think that Romans 7 into Romans chapter 8, Paul finally conquered it and he got to a point of sinless perfection, you don't understand what the word of God says. He still continued to blow it. He still blew it. But he understood that there was a difference between who he used to be and who he is now in Christ. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ there in 25. Verse 25 uh, of chapter 7. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I'll serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And then he says there in verse 1 of chapter 8. He says, there is, there, there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. You know what's cool? It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 begins the time of victory in Paul's life. I've, I've, I've used this illustration before. If you've been around for a few years, you've seen me use this illustration. But, but before you came to Christ, you were just a mess. You were lost. You were going to hell. It was what it was. Sorry, you were. Then you, you came to a place where you became a Christian. And you skyrocketed. You just started growing really, really fast in the Lord. You, you were excited. You were excited about what the Bible says. All of a sudden, the black and white words on these pages in here all of a sudden turned to full color. How many of you guys understand what I mean by that? Yeah, some of you guys understand. Man, what I used to read in the Bible was pretty dull and pretty boring until I became a Christian and I began to understand that this is God's love letter to me and I'm beginning to read what God is wanting to speak to me and share with me and, and, and teach me and grow me with. And, and, and all of a sudden, you're not just reading a book. You're now having a conversation with God. And you can't believe that God's taken time off from you know, the issue that's going on over there in Iraq with ISIS and saying, hey, no, I want to spend some time with you in your room here. And by the way, God can be all places at one time, right? He's omnipresent. But that he would spend time with you patiently in your room and quietly minister to you and you sit there and go, I can't believe that I ever, I never saw this. I've had a Bible my whole life and I never saw this. And all of a sudden, God begins to move through his word in your heart. And you're just going, man, I can't believe that I never saw this stuff before. And so here's the thing. God begins to grow in you. And man, you begin to learn. You begin to grow. You begin to, you know, uh, you know it, it, uh, I can't think of the word. You begin to put into your life the things that you're learning. And, and, and you begin to make it a part of your spiritual, your moral, your emotional warehouse, everything that you are. You become what you're reading in the Bible and you're going, man, I'm going to go out today. I learned this last night here today. I'm going to wake up, spend a little bit of time with the Lord. I'm going to go out and I'm going to put into practice what God showed me today. And you do and you go out there and you minister to somebody and you get back, you get away from that person after a while and you just go, wow, Lord, what an awesome thing you were using me to minister. And so here's the thing. You're on 
on this just skyrocketing advancement in your Christian walk. And then you blow it in your sin like we talked about. And you kind of fall off a little bit. And somebody encourages you, picks you back up, and you go, okay, hey, yeah, yeah confess my sins. Yes, God's going to forgive me. Okay, I'm going to start growing again. And, and you do that, and then I blow it again. And so that first initial growth period in your life is just skyrocketing. And then you get to this place where you sin, and you kind of vacillate a little bit up and down. But then there comes a point in a lot of people's lives that I've seen over the years that all of a sudden they just start to digress and they just do this. And their, their, their whole walk with the Lord just starts doing this. And this, this time might be uh, you know, a month. It could be five months. It could be 33 years walking with the Lord of just a settled, steady digression in God. A steady digression in your walk with the Lord. It's because you didn't understand Romans 7 and 8. Paul, he he writes something. I believe that Paul was on this downward spiral. And as as he's reaching this place where he's so frustrated, where he cries out, wretched man that I am, who's going to be delivering me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's it's the Lord. Paul writes in Roman or in Galatians chapter 2 verse 22 you know this word verse right I have been crucified with Christ it's no longer who I who live but it's who Christ who lives in who in me I've been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but it's Christ who lives in me What Paul's saying all of a sudden I was living for me and I was trying to do it on my own and I couldn't do it and I kept trying and I kept blowing it and I kept trying and I kept blowing it. I can't do it. Man, when you can get to that place where you realize I can't do it, you're at a really, really good place in your life. You're at a really, really good place in your life, gang. Listen, because you're really close to just dying. And I don't mean I don't mean killing yourself, suicide or anything like this. I'm talking spiritual death. You're just like, I just need to die. I've got to stop making it about me. That's what Paul did. He put a tombstone in his life that said, Rest in peace, Saul of Tarsus. You're now Paul, the Christian. You died, Saul. And you've been born again. Is Paul. And then Paul skyrocketed and he began to write. And as he continued to write, we're today even still just being blessed. Our socks are being blessed off this off our feet because of the things that Paul has written in his books. Some thirteen books of the New Testament, Paul. Because he he, he learned this lesson. Maybe it didn't take him 33 years. But man, if you're on that downward spiral, there, can I just say your, your, your greatest thing that could ever happen in your life is just die. Again, I don't mean physically. I mean die to you and begin to live for Christ because that's what it's all about. Because here's the thing. When, when I'm living for Christ and my whole life, when I wake up in the morning and I say, you know what, Lord, this is your day. And I'm going to live for you today. 
Get this point, gang. Listen, you've got to get this. If, you, if, you check out, if you've already checked out for a lot of things, check back in for a second and, and just stay with me for just a couple of minutes, okay? Because you really need to hear this. When you give your life to Jesus, you wake up in the day and you go, Lord, this is your day. It's not about me. And you're walking with the expectation that you're going to walk step in step with Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. You're going to still slip and you're still going to fall. But your predisposition in life is not to do that. I don't want to fall. I don't want to walk after the flesh. I don't want to do the things of the flesh. But when I do, I have an advocate that will be my mediator. I have an advocate. His name is Christ. I have someone to run to. Lord, I blew it. Get me back on the path. Get me back on the path. Get me back up. Put me back up on the horse and let me start running with you again. I blew it. I'm sorry. But see, contrast that with you waking up or me waking up in the morning going, what is in store for me today? What am I going to do for me today? What is going to bring me enjoyment today? I, 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 me, 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 I, 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 me, me, me. I, 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 you got an eye problem, man. You got it. Got to cut the eye out. Not this one. You got to cut you out. You got to live for Christ. Because here's the thing when you do sin, your motivation for living your life is for Christ. He'll restore you and continue to, to have you go on the way. But when you're living for you and you sin, eh. I know this Christian life is just not what it's all cracked up to be. I keep falling. I keep messing up. And, and you get discouraged. You stop living for the Lord. All of a sudden, somewhere along the line, the wonder of who God is has left your, your heart. You forgot how wonderful God is. You forgot how awesome the Lord is. Because you begin to look too much into the mirror saying, What's, what about me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Listen, if you continue to live for you, you're going to be discouraged. Corey Ten Boom, I said it, what, about three weeks ago, right? Corey Ten Boom used to say, look within and be depressed. Look without and be distressed. But look to my Jesus and be at rest. You want to know some of the most depressed people upon the face of this earth are those who are so caught up in them, in themselves. They're so caught up in themselves. I worry about what everybody thinks. I worry about me. I worry about what I'm going to wear. I worry about what I'm going to do. I worry about what car I'm going to drive. I worry about how much money I'm in my pocket. I worry about this. I worry about that. I worry about me, 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 me. Again, stop being it about you. It's about Christ. Now, here's the thing. When you wake up in the morning, you're living for Christ. When you slip and you fall, run to Jesus. His grace pours over you. And you realize what Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Now there might be conviction. Now you know there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation, we see here, there is therefore 
No condemnation. He uses the word therefore. Remember we talked about that a while back, right? Therefore. What is therefore? Therefore is a word which is a conjunction, junction. What's your function, right? What's a conjunction for? It is to connect to together, right? Connect two sentences to connect two words, connect two sentences, to connect two clauses, to connect two phrases together. And so what Paul does is he uses a conjunction junction to show us what the function of chapter eight's all about. Kind of got that George Bush going. Listen, he brings that conjunction in to tell you what's going to come on into verse eight, chapter eight. He's saying, listen, There's a conjunction here, which means that I'm attaching chapter 8 to chapter 7. This is how frustrated I was in chapter 7. But I found freedom in Jesus Christ. He's the one who delivered me from this body of death. Therefore, let's attach these two chapters together. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I, I don't know, can I... I don't do this very well, but can I just get like a hallelujah on that? Hallelujah, Hallelujah, man. There's no condemnation. I always am jealous of pastors who go, can I get a hallelujah? And everybody goes, hallelujah. You go, man, I can't do that. I feel funky doing that, you know. Can I get a hallelujah kind of a little sheepishly? Hallelujah. Oh, good. Here's the thing. There's therefore now no No. What do you think in the Greek this means? (laughs) You got it. Man, you guys are Greek scholars. It means no. There's no, what? Condemnation. The word condemnation there. Let Let me tell you what condemnation is. The word condemnation there in the Greek is kata krema. Kata, kata, kata. I have it written down here. Kata Krema. You got a got a ta there. Kata krema. K a t a k r i m a. Kata krema. Which it's a it's it's a combination of two words. Kata, which means against, and krema, which means the sentence pronounced, a verdict, a condemnation. The decision resulting from an investigation, the process of judgment leading to a decision. And so this word speaks of the sentence pronounced upon a person which carries a condemnation with a suggestion of the punishment that follows. And in this case, it's called damnation. It's called eternal separation from God. He says there is there... Now, therefore, no condemnation. You know what's really, really cool about chapter 8? Here's what's really cool about chapter 8. Chapter 8 begins with there is no condemnation. It's kind of the victory chapter, man. It ends with no separation from Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, he says in verse 35. No separation. No condemnation. No separation. And throughout the body of this chapter, it speaks of no defeat. 
Verse 31 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? No condemnation, no separation, no defeat. Why? Because I'm in Christ Jesus. It's about him, man. You know, another thing about this is is that you hear me talking about this. Wake up every day. Live for Christ. You can't do it, by the way. (laughs) I, I just gave you a lot of information to do. And, and, and I, it was impossible for you to do. Sorry. Get up and just do it. And the Nike commercial, just do it. Just do it. Well, you can't just do it. Because our flesh is too strong. Your flesh is too strong. Here's what it is. The only way that we can do it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen to this. Up until chapter 8, you're going to go home and you, some of you guys are going to go, I don't believe that. I'm going to go home and look. Well, you just do that. But here's the thing. Do you know that the Holy Spirit has only been mentioned twice? From, verse, from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 7. And then we get to chapter 8 where Paul is talking about, man, there's no condemnation. Now live for Christ the power of the Holy Spirit. We reach chapter 8 and the Holy Spirit is spoken of at least 20 times in these 39 verses. Spirit, 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 Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, 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 Spirit. Why? You think that Paul is trying to drive something home to you and I? You can't do it on your own, man. You need a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit all the time. Now, if you think that you wake up in the morning and you just fill yourself up with a little bit of the Holy Spirit and it's going to last you like you fill up your car with some gas, maybe you're running kind of low and and you've got five bucks on you, which would, well, now it's kind of going a little bit farther, isn't it? It's been kind of nice with the gas prices dropping a bit. They're about, what, 88 cents I saw just the other day, about 88 cents cheaper than they were at this time last year. I like that. But for five bucks, you're only going to get like less than two gallons. I remember five bucks used to almost fill up your car. That was, I just dated myself, didn't I? Yeah, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Sometimes we think, Okay, here's the thing. I'm going to spend some time with Jesus. That's going to totally fill me up. And then I'm going to go out there and now I'm going to live my life on my own. And I'm going to go out there and you get, boom, you get hit and you get hit and you get hit and you start falling down. By the end of the day, you're coming in, your knuckles are dragging on the ground, your bottom lips on the ground because I can't do this Christian walk. I'm so frustrated. I just can't do it. Everything's against me, you know. And, and you know, might as well just eat worms and die. I just don't like. And you're just angry because you know what? You've, you've, you've worn yourself out because you... You, you filled yourself up with a little bit of the Lord and then you went out and you tried to, to live almost like a vehicle which has a, a gas container, a tank in the vehicle that you fill it up with some fuel and then you go about until it runs out and then you go back to the gas station which would be in this case might be the word of God you know, and you'll be refilled again. Here's the thing. That's not how God's economy works. You don't just get a little douse of the Lord here today and then he, he carries you on for a full day. 
It's not like that. It's, it's much like Disneyland's monorail system. Or at a carnival, have you ever gotten that one bumper car that that little thing that scrapes on the top bends or something and it stops moving? Usually you're out in the middle. And you press that thing and it's just not going anywhere. But everybody else sees you are fair game. You get like a four-year-old kid just going, boom, you know, bam, and you get hit, and you know, all of a sudden, boom, somebody hits you from over here, and you're just, you're just a pinball out there, man. You are just getting pelted from everywhere. Why? Because you became disconnected from the power source. And you know what? There's a lot of Christians that are out there today that are disconnected from the power source because they think that if they just fill themselves up a little bit, they're like a Prius. They're not. You're not. You, you're, you're not... You're not able to just fill yourself up a little bit and then live your life for Christ. Here's the thing. What Paul is, is, is beginning to allude here to 20 times in here, he's saying, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, why is there no condemnation in me? How can I live this Christian life? It's because I walk with the Holy Spirit on a day-by-day basis. I've got to have the Holy Spirit in my life, continually and constantly in my life. Why? Because now, all of a sudden, it goes back to what we started to talk about. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. When you blow it and you've woken up in the morning and you're wanting to walk with Jesus and you're wanting to do it and you do blow it, there's something that happens in your heart and it's either condemnation or it's conviction and there's a big difference between the two. Condemnation. I've got three verses we're going to look up and then we're going to end. Condemnation originates from this unholy trinity of Satan and the world and your flesh. Condemnation is there and, and is meant to tear you down. You're not good enough, you're a loser. You'll never make it because you're an oaf. I need somebody to read, somebody else that hasn't read. Somebody read to me Revelation 12.10. I need somebody to read me 12.10. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Somebody, John. Revelation, and somebody else look up John chapter 12, verse 47. Somebody else look up John chapter 16, verse 8. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. John Patterson. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. What happens? What does it say that again? Say it again. Well, there's accuser of the brethren. Who is that? It's Satan. Satan is the, the accuser of the brethren. If you don't know what the brethren is, and you, you, it's, it's, the, it's the body of Christ. You might go, well, I'm a girl. How am I brethren? Okay, you're a, I don't know, brethren. I don't know. You're, 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 you're just a part of us. Huh? Brethren. You're brethren. But here's the thing. The enemy is constantly 
condemning you. He's accusing you before God all the time. Hey, you see that? You see that? You almost even feel that, don't you? You blow it, and you just know that Satan is the first one. He's the one that's sitting here going, hey, do it. Do it. Nobody's watching. You can do this. You can get away with this totally. Dude, you can totally get away with this. It's just you. Nobody sees. Go. Come on, man. You can do it. You want it. Do it. Do it. Do it. And you do it. And as soon as you do what it is that he's convinced you to do, he goes, hey, 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 Lord, look at, look at right here. Yep, this is your man. This is your girl. Look at her. Oh, yeah, Miss Holy, you know, look at her. Look at her. And you sit there and go, oh, I thought you said it was just between us. Yeah, I'm a liar. Because that's what he is. He's a liar. He's an accuser of you. He's an accuser of of me. But let's look at John chapter 12 verse 47. Who has that? John chapter 12 verse 47. Nancy. Who said that? Jesus. Say it again real loud. Okay, the word judge there is also the word, does anybody else have it in their Bible that says condemn? I have not come here to condemn the world, but to save it. So who has come here to accuse and who has come here to save? Satan has come to condemn. Jesus has come here to save. So condemnation originates from the unholy trinity, Satan, the world, and my flesh, whereas conviction conviction originates from the holy trinity where the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. It's meant to lead you to a godly sorrow and a repentance and a restoration with the Father. Condemnation says tells you you're such a failure. Look at what you did while conviction tells you Come to Jesus, go to Jesus, and I will forgive you. Come to me, Jesus is saying, and I'll forgive you. I'm there to forgive. I'm there to restore. You remember the woman caught in the act of adultery. There she is. She's caught in the act of adultery. She's there before her accusers. She's there before the men that have stones ready to hurl at her head to kill her in an instant. And she knows my life is over right now. Do you think that she's feeling pretty bad right now? I think she is. I think she is. And I think that she's over there scared to death that this is her last act, getting caught in the act of adultery which always kind of trips me out because there's not a guy next to her. He should be. But chances are this was a total setup and that the guy she was sleeping with was a part of the whole gimmick in order to try to trick Jesus to see this chick stoned to death. And so here she is sitting over there, deathly afraid, scared that at any moment, She's going to die. And here Jesus is. She's heard, hey, he's a, he's a gracious man. I've heard that he's a wonderful guy. He's wonderful. And everybody is running to him. And now all these men are around saying, Jesus, hey, Moses says we're supposed to stone such a one. What, should you, what do you say? And Jesus, he's kind of, you know, playing around on the ground, kind of knelt down. He stands up. They're going, hey, come on. They keep pressing him. Come on, tell us. 
Tell us. And Jesus says, um, before he even talks, what do you think's going on in this girl's mind? Oh my goodness, I know what the, what the law says. And if he is this holy man like the Bible said, or that people say that he is, he's going to agree with these guys. These guys are like the, the main religious guys in town. He's going to have to agree with them. Jesus, he stands up and he says, hey, he who is without the sin, I, I agree with the law, yeah, I agree with that. But he, he is without the, the you know, and, and by the way, that is the same sin, by the way. The way that the reading is and the rendering of that is, it can be spoken of, he who is without this same exact sin as this girl has been caught in, let him be the first one to cast the stone. And then he goes back down and he begins to draw and doodle on the ground. Now, if you're the girl, are you feeling any better right now? I'm not. I'm not a girl, but I mean, I wouldn't feel good right now. Because he just agreed with him, right? At any moment, my head is down, and at any moment, I'm about to feel a huge blunt force trauma to my head from some huge rock, which Israel has a lot of, by the way. I'm about to die. And this holy man, this one that everybody keeps running after, he just agreed with him. He just gave me my death sentence. I'm dead. I'm not even going to be able to say goodbye to my mom, my sisters, and my brothers, and my aunts, and mom. I'm not even going to be able to say goodbye to them. In fact, I'm going to be shaming every one of them because this is what's going to go around town. She got stoned to death at the feet of Jesus because she was sleeping with another man's or with another woman's husband. Think she's dejected? You think that she has a right to feel dejected? Yeah. Well, Jesus doodling on the ground, and as he's doodling on the ground, now the Bible doesn't give us any clear understanding about what he was doing on the ground. I'd like to, I, I hope that they have instant replay in heaven, because I'd like to see. But here's the thing. I, I, I wonder if Jesus was not on the ground just writing from, because it said he leaned back down, and he began to doodle on the ground. And from the oldest and then to the youngest, they all departed, those who were accusing her and were going to stone her. And, and so I, I wonder if Jesus on the ground is just not writing the name from the oldest, Shlomo, Vivian. How do you know? I'm out of here. Dude, this is too steep for me. If my wife finds out I was with Vivian, I am in, you know, a heap of problems. All right, all right. Benjamin? Lucy. I'm out of here. I'm out of here, guys. Hey, here, drop my rock. I'm out. I'm out. How long does he have to be there before, like, you get to a point where you go, Hey, you know what? I'm going to just leave before he even writes my name down. But from the oldest to the youngest, they all departed. And then once they were all gone, Jesus stood up. What did he say to her? He says, woman, where are those who condemn you? 
And probably for the first time, she looked up and she saw them all gone. And with tears streaming down her face, as I'm sure they probably were, and her hands shaking and every part of her body just convulsively shaking because she knows at any moment I'm about to die. She looks up and she sees them all gone and she goes, there are none. Woman, where are those who condemn you? There are none. Neither do I condemn you. Go. Go. And sin no more. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. The difference between conviction and condemnation is condemnation is to take you off your game with Jesus. Conviction is to produce a godly sorrow that says, Lord, you know what? That wasn't my best. Forgive me, Lord, and and help me to walk clean today. I don't have time to really develop it, and I won't develop it, but let me just say this. What Paul's saying, hey, there's no condemnation to you. Get back up and walk, man. But you remember that, that person? Maybe you're that person that is just on that downward spiral, and you're depressed. It said no condemnation. It didn't say less condemnation. It didn't say not a lot of condemnation. There is there, therefore now a little bit of condemnation or a lot less condemnation that's going to come on other people. It says there is no condemnation. But you know what? We like to, we like to camp at the campground of condemnation, even as Christians. Because we can't believe that we can blow it as bad as we do. Can I tell you that there's not a person alive, a Christian that you highly, highly, highly respect, that person, if you could see inside their mind and see inside their heart, you would not have them elevated to that place. I don't care who that person is. It can be the greatest preacher. It can be the, 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 the greatest saint you've ever seen. But if you could really, truly see inside their heart the way that God can see inside their heart, you'd go, oh my goodness, that is ugly too. How can you continue on? I think maybe they got, they got it. Romans chapter 8. I think they understood Romans 7 and Romans 8. But we have this feeling that we've got to have a certain amount of time for the sins that we committed before we can be happy again and we can be used by God again. You ever struggle with that? I really blew it this time. All right, Lord, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Maybe even with tears, God, I'm so sorry. I blew it so bad. God, forgive me. I'm so ashamed. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Help me to help me to walk with you. All right, I forgive you. I I want you to walk for me, Don. Wait, it's going to be about two or three days, because I'm going to mull this one over for a while. Ah, Don, you're wasting my time. But Lord, that was a big sin. I feel like I need to kind of go around with my shoulders slumped over a little bit. I need to pay for some of this. I don't want to put a smile on my face because I don't think that I should have a smile on my face because that was an ugly sin. So I'm going to just stay like this. 
And Jesus says to you as he says to me, hey, who set you free? You did. The son sets you free. Aren't you free indeed? Isn't that what I said? Do you know it was later on in that chapter with the woman caught in the act of adultery that that's when Jesus said that? He said, if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. Was that woman free indeed? Absolutely. Did he condone her sin? Absolutely not. Did he, did he address the sin? Absolutely. Did he say, yeah, okay, hey, I forgive you. I'm not condemning you. But hey, just don't get caught next time. He just says, go and sin no more. That means, hey, we blow it, get up, dust yourself, or just let the Holy Spirit dust you off. Now go and walk with Jesus again. Again, your life is dead to you and it's wrapped up in Christ. Now go and live your life for Christ. Is this making sense? I hope so, because man, I'll tell you, if, if you did not get this message, you didn't understand this message, please ask for a copy of this tape or a copy, I say tape. Do we even still have tapes? I mean, here's the thing. Ask for a copy of the CD, listen, and go over it and listen to it again and listen to it again and listen until you understand that you cannot live this Christian life in your own strength. It has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. And let God move through you. You are his. He chose you. You didn't choose him. He chose you from the foundation of the world. He loves you. He's not there to condemn you. He is there to see you through. He wants a godly sorrow. He wants a godly repentance. But he wants you to, to not stay there. He wants you to get up and move. Time's short, guys. There's people dying by the day that don't know Christ. Get up and move for Christ. Don't let your own self keep you down in the miry clay. Let God do his work in you. Paul says, man, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. God, help us to get this into our life and make it a part of our spiritual being. We want to live for you, Lord. Help us to understand. It is, it's tough sometimes, this Christian walk. I mean, that even having to take a few weeks to explain the dynamics of our Christian walk here is, is, is proof text to say that it is difficult to understand it. It is difficult to know that, man, it's hard to let go of the flesh. It's hard to let go of all that it is that I've all that I've ever known is me and my flesh and my feelings and my wants and my desires and the things that make me tick. And to exchange that for considering you before I consider me. Well, I can't do that on my own, Lord. And I'm asking you today, if this is your prayer, pray this to the Lord. I'm asking you today, Lord, to help me make the change. I'm tired of being burnt out. I'm tired of going through the motions. I'm tired of digressing in my Christian walk. God, I want to walk with you. I, I want to live a victorious Christian life. I want to live for you. Even when I blow it, God, I want to live for you. I want my life to matter. Life is not about me. I'm going to live. I'm going to die. And, 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 and 
no one really is, I'm not going to make that big of a ripple if I'm living for me on this world. But God, make me into the man or make me into the woman that you want me to be. And I know, God, it's going to be a lifelong battle of me dying to my flesh and living for you. But Lord, in the help of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I know I can do this. Not because of me and not because of the gumption that I have, but because that that's, Lord, what you've promised me. Now help me to make that a habit in my life. Help that to become a, a characteristic of my life. I want to live for you, Lord. No condemnation. Conviction, yes. But no more condemnation, Lord. I want to live for you and I want to live for you freely. I want to live for you boldly, joyously. I want people to see Jesus, you, in my eyes, my life. Make my life count. Help me, Lord, not to just simply have a dash between the day I was born and the day I died on my tombstone. But, Lord, help my life to count. Help me to touch so many lives. For you. Not for me, but for you. Because you're worthy. You're worth it. You've saved my soul and my soul is wrapped up in you from the time you gave me life until the until time is no more, which will never be. Because eternity is eternity. It never stops. Help me to live the remaining days of my life for you. And help me to do it in balance, Lord. Help me to understand conviction and, and come to you with a godly sorrow and a repentance when I need to. But God, also help me to get back up and live for you joyously, confidently, and boldly. In Jesus' name, amen.